Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done, too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available ProPower onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. 1987, The Lost Boys grossed over $32 million at the box office on a budget of less than $9 million. Launched little-known Canadian actor Corey Haim, who had starred in the critically acclaimed 1986 film Lucas, had a role in 1985's Murphy's Romance, James Garner, Sally Field's box office success that was nominated for two Academy Awards. Done a few uh, smaller films earlier. Now he's a teen icon, household name, the beginning of a lifelong association with fellow child star Corey Feldman, 1988. Two Corey starred in License to Drive. Another $8 million, you know, eight nine million dollar movie makes 22 million at the box office 1989 star in the wildly unsuccessful horror film the watchers star with feldman again in the critically panned box office failure dream a little dream and by 1990 at only 18 years of age began appearing in straight to dvd universally unwatched movies like tale of the roller boys and double o kid before dying of a prescription overdose broke and living with his mom in a small burbank apartment at the age of 38 after many years of obscurity. The Lost Years of the Lost Boy. On this sometimes sad, sometimes funny, hopefully always entertaining episode of Time Suck. Sucking some time. You're listening to Time Suck. Let's get into Lost Boys. Lost Boys, I, uh, I first remember seeing uh, Corey Haim. And Lost Boys, one of the first horror movies I ever watched. Maybe like the first horror movie I ever watched. Because it was like scary, but not too scary. Uh, and, the, and the good guys win. And if I'm spoiling this movie for you, who gives a shit? It was made in 1987. If you haven't seen it, well, that's your problem. All right? How dare you listen to a Corey Haim-themed podcast not knowing about the Lost Boys. Okay. Around 1988, when I watched, I was like 10 or 11. You know, I watched HBO or some video rental. Watched with my mom, and I thought it was awesome. It was like it was like scary again, you know, but not too scary. Like I said, you know, I had kids not much older than me doing things I wanted to do, like you know, hanging out at the comic book store, talking about comics, talking about girls, checking out girls. Had both hot vampire teen bad girls, hot regular girls, super hot 
half vampire girl named uh, Star, played by the gorgeous Jamie uh, Gertz. Uh, badass vampire leader, Kiefer Sutherland. That was my introduction to him as well. That and Flatliners. Holy shit. Totally different episode of uh, Time Suck. That would be. Uh, badass older brother, I wish I had him, Jason Patrick. Fucking doing the bench press at home like a boss. In his 80s workout gear with jeans. Sweet. It was so great. It was like a classic 80s movie. And, uh, and Corey, you know, he's playing J.C. Patrick's little brother, Sam. He was a star. He was, he was funny. He's, like, real witty. He's smart. He's a goofball. You know, he's, like, small for his size. He was, like, cool, but not one of the stupid cool kids. He had a funny friend, Corey Feldman. You know, girls thought he was cute. Definitely thought he was super cute, but he wasn't, like, a pretty boy. Wasn't a pretty boy jack type. And he immediately became, like, my favorite actor because I think I just, I saw a lot of myself in him. Uh, I was, you know, small for my age, et cetera, et cetera. Not as well liked by girls. But, you know, girls actually did have crushes on me at that time, and I didn't know what to do with it. I was just a, I was a dummy. And, um, again, man, I'm, I'm Mr. Sing Song right now. I'm jacked up on the caffeine. Yep. So you're getting a caffeinated Corey Haim episode today. French pressing it like, like a Java IV into my heart. I don't know why it's a strong batch I got today. You know why? Because I let it sit. And if you're a French presser with your coffee, turns out if you let it sit in the pot for like an hour, uh, it becomes some form of horse methamphetamine and it jacks your heart rate to the ceiling. Okay. So, all right, back, back on this. And uh, Dream a Little Dream was another movie that came. It's like, they're kind of like those, the trifecta. Like I mentioned earlier, it was, uh, it was like Lost Boys. And, um, and by the way, this is, uh, yeah, again, I said earlier, this is, we're going to focus mostly on the, on the spiral into uh, uh, falling from grace depression, which, you know, sad. But right now, man, we're in the hits. We're talking about the hits. The big three, two Corey movies, uh, in my opinion, the trilogy there is, you know, Lost Boys, License to Drive, and then uh, Dream a Little Dream. And then Dream a Little Dream was uh, critically panned uh, just across the board. On Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critic score for Dream a Little Dream is uh, zero. It's, uh, yep, just a flat zero. I will say audience score is 66%, so two out of three are into it. And I was one of those people who was into it, like, way into it. I like, loved it. Uh, it was my favorite movie. It was, it was, Dream a Little Dream is my first favorite movie that I can remember. Like, a movie where I was like, fuck yes, I love this movie. And... And, and maybe, like, first in kind of a special way, too, because not everybody else knew about it. It really wasn't out in the box office. You know, it had a very limited theatrical release. I went to a, a small town. We didn't have a theater, and not very many kids had, you know, uh, HBO because you couldn't get cable because I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, 400-person town, and you had to have a gigantic satellite dish in your yard where you would then steal uh, some random provider's signals and get free HBO. Yep, that's a whole other thing as well. The old secret black box you're from central idaho you might know what i'm talking about where some dude peddled a black box that gave you all the channels i think it was like a one-time fee it was crazy but anyway so it was like i got to talk about this movie to other people i was the cool kid you know by just being the one who knew about it and uh so there was that association as well and yeah and this guy like i felt awkward at the time with girls i was you know again small for my size intimidated by some of the bigger boys at school and i related to Corey uh hames dinger his dinger character he had a crush on the gorgeous meredith salinger also probably why i like that movie uh 
definitely right up there with like Kathy Ireland where like that first group of women where I was like, what the fuck is this? Like just like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm awakening hormonally for the first time. And like to me, Meredith Salinger that time was like, oh my God, she's like, is that even a real person? Is that just some sexual angel? That it, and I don't even fully understand sex at all at this point in my life. But I knew that whatever she had, it was all I would ever need if I could get a hold of it. Like I just, it's all I ever wanted, even though I didn't know I, even who she was. So anyway, that was a big plus. Um, you know, and Dinger had a, you know, he had a crush on her, uh, Meredith Salinger's character, who didn't like, really like him. Uh, just like I had a crush on this girl named Sarah Foster, who wasn't that into me, you know, and I was a little romantic and uh, would go on to get my heart broken because uh, I was sappy. Uh, and Dinger, I, you know, the movie is kind of like a, about sappy romance as well. And I became obsessed uh, with the movie and the soundtrack. Uh, this is like a huge memory of mine from growing up. It's just like this weird period of my life. It's like, like sixth grade where uh, for some reason the teachers let me have a Walkman at recess. I don't remember any other kid, literally, no, that's not true. I was going to say literally any other kid. Jackie Hardy, I'm pretty sure she also rocked a Walkman at recess a few times as well. Maybe a kid named Lincoln Laughlin, but it wasn't common. Was not common. And definitely uncommon to listen to the Dream a Little Dream soundtrack Um, because it was a lot of, you know, kind of mushy stuff. You know, like I remember the other kids... That had either like a ghetto blaster or a Walkman. At that time, they're rocking like ACDC, Poison, Winger, cool shit. And that's right, I did say Winger before saying cool shit, which was not an ironic thing to say in like, you know, 88. Like people were like, fuck yeah, Kip Winger, hell yeah. Um, but the, yeah, so, and there was this one song, I think it was like an old like Louis Armstrong song. It's Dream a Little Dream, the title song. I would si- I have memories. I would sing this out loud by myself, wandering around at recess. And if you <laughs> just to paint the picture, if you haven't heard this song, this is I'll sing a little bit. I'll sing a little bit now. It was like um, stars shining bright above you. Night breezes seem to whisper, I love you. Birds singing in the sycamore tree. Dream a little dream of me. Yeah, I would sincerely sing that uh, long before Michael Bublé made, you know, the old standards somewhat cool. Emphasis on somewhat. Uh, I'm sure that, that did not help me uh, help endear myself to the, the cool boys at school. <laughs> but I remember one girl, Lynette Damon, later thinking I sounded... I was singing this on the fucking bus, and every, like a, just a weirdo. I was a weird kid. Anyway, I'm, t- I'm saying all this just to, just to make the point that this movie, uh, Corey Haim was really like the first celebrity that I identified with where I was like, this dude's cool. This dude is like, he was on the cover uh, at the grocery store. You'd see all at this time, um, I don't even know if this is still in existence, uh, Tiger Beat, like these kind of teen zines were very popular with the girls. And on the cover, they'd have, you know, whatever teen dude was uh, the girl's fantasy at that time. And Corey Haim was like the go-to dude in the late 80s for like Tiger Beat. And he's kind of teensy. And so I'm like, man, like just everybody loves him. I love him. And, uh, and then after Dream a Little Dream, I didn't realize at the time. You know, I just, I'm sure I got distracted into other things in life. You know, high school started. You know, I ended up moving to go live with my dad. I had other things going on that was keeping me away from folks on what the fuck's going on with Corey Haim. But he just kind of went away. Um, it was like boom, 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 those three movies, and then just poof. Like, what? what? Where, where do you, 
there was no wide release theatrical movie after that for him ever that he was the star of. And mostly just um, a lot of straight-to-DVD and those getting more and more obscure, more and more low-budget, featuring him less and less. It just, you know, just went away. Uh, and, I, and I just didn't, didn't think about those guys, you know, Corey Haim or, or his sidekick in those movies, Corey Feldman. And, uh, and it turns out he had a lot of drug problems and had one of the really one of the saddest spirals down ever. And I'm always fascinated. It's why I'm choosing to talk about this in this time suck. You know, this is something I uh, fascinate with on the web with like the, uh, the Ryan Leafs or the Johnny Manziels of the world. With these people where it seems like at one point that the world is their oyster. Like all they have to do is not fuck it up. And they will, you know, not forever. No one gets it forever. But like the path to success is so clearly to to continued excuse me continued success they're already very successful and here's more laid out right in front of them and then they just uh, implode and I'm always like you know I've always felt like I've had to struggle so hard for any level of validity I mean and, and you know and I've had a very different career trajectory than him, <laughs> never reaching anywhere near his height of fame at all and also starting like way late just kind of falling into stand up you know really not getting going until you know I'm, I'm like 25. Which is, you know, there's guys uh, now who, you know, have made TV appearances on SNL, whatever. Eddie Murphy was, you know, a famous comedian by like 22. I still didn't know what the hell I was going to do for a job when I was 22. You know, and Corey, Corey Hamdell, this in his teens, you know, very, very different. But I, really, I, I just, I'm obs- interested, I guess, in these kind of stories because I feel like I've had to grind and I have to like constantly come up with new material to stay relevant and constantly you know uh, uh come up with like a podcast or something new album you know scrambling around hosting weird shows on the playboy channel or writing for random reality shows to just stay in the industry and to keep grinding it out in the hopes that you know eventually uh i can you know live my dream of just performing in front of fans at, at you know sold out club shows or better around the country but, but that would be my dream that would be it and and then this guy had like he would consider that, like, Corey Haim of 1988 would be like, what, you're just touring, doing little 300 seats and selling out 300-seat three, venues? That's, and what, like Des Moines and Omaha? That sounds fucking terrible. Like, that would have been, like, his nightmare probably at that time. He's like, no, I'm in, I'm in L.A. partying fucking a millionaire and, the, you know, a household name. But then he fell so much farther down than that, so, like, so, so far. We're going to get into that. Uh, like really what a cautionary tale this is, uh, how it all kind of went away after, uh, you know, 89, 90. It's just, just a huge, huge, uh, descent. And so I want to give some background on Corey too, cause, cause I didn't know anything about this dude other than these movies. I didn't know where he came from and I'm always fascinated with that kind of stuff. So, you know, I did my research again, so you don't have to. And um, here's how it started. So first off, he, he did completely fall into fame. His family, he was, he's Canadian. He was living in Toronto. And, and he's a little kid, you know, eight, nine years old. And his sister wanted to go. He liked hockey and stuff. His sister, you know, like pretty typical little boy. Older sister uh, wanted to go into acting. He'd accompany her on auditions. And then when he was like 10 years old, uh, just, you know, landed a role on a Canadian kid's show 
called the Edison Twins, a show that ran for four years. And even that, I can't imagine. Like, I have a, uh, what that would do to someone's ego at 10. Because I have a 10-year-old son right now, Kyler. Love him to death. But, you know, <laughs> him and I noticed a lot of his little buddies, they, you know, they get cocky real easy. You know, they, uh, they do, like, one catch. Like, he plays flag football right now. Forget, like, who wins or who loses. You know, it's like they make one catch in the game, and they want to – it's like they're on an ESPN highlight. Like, they're so proud of themselves and so high. And, and like, at home, you know, he'll win a game of Madden football or, you know, win a board game, and he's, like, cock of the walk. Like, he's literally strutting around the house. Like, he's, he's so happy with himself. If, if he was on TV, like, every week and kids – like, he gets excited that some of his friends know who I am. And that know that, you know, in, in their minds, his dad is a, you know, quote unquote, and a famous comedian. I say that because I don't consider myself, well, because I'm not a famous comedian. I'm a comedian that some people know about. But his, like, that association makes him, you know, a little more pep in his step. If he was like the dude just on TV every week, oh, man, you would have to work so hard to keep that, that kid ego in check. You know, because kids haven't experienced failure at that point in their life of any consequence generally. And, um, yeah, they can get really cocky. You got to really, I think, keep them in check, you know, and, and this is, man, the more I, I'm going to tell you about this, Corey Haim, if you ever uh, have thought about putting your kid in showbiz, fucking think again, cause it's the devil's work and I don't even believe in the devil. And, uh, that song felt forced. I felt like I started it. I had good intentions. I didn't want to keep singing, but I felt like I needed to close out the verse. Um, so, uh, he's on that. And he's on that show. And then, like, right away, in, like, the early part of the show, he also lands this audition from from Toronto in a Sarah Jessica Parker, Robert Downey Jr. movie called Firstborn. Granted, this was before they are the Robert Downey Jr. and Sarah Parker as we know them today. Um, but he befriends both of them to the point that his, his parents are having marital problems. Oh, not good timing there. Not good as he's becoming, you know, uh, starting the, the to ascend into fame. Parents are not paying attention because they're having their own marital fucking shit. And to the point that he went during the filming of that movie, went and lived for like two months, he said, in some interview, uh, with Sarah Jessica Parker and Robert Downey Jr. for like uh, six, six weeks to two months. That, can't, that cannot have been good. You're 10 years old and you're hanging out with a young Robert Downey Jr.? Holy shit. He would be on like a list of like uh, worst babysitters as far as like, I mean... You know, the dude was a fucking party guy. This is Robert Downey Jr. in the 80s. Are you kidding me? What is he? What is he going to be having like a, a ginger ale at night before he goes to bed? No, he's fucking probably snorting coke off Jessica Parker's tits or something. And that's pure speculation. But come on. Come on. Stuff was going down and you know it. Um, so then he stars right away and gets another, you know, networking. You know, he's, he's getting in the scene now again from Toronto and Stephen King movie, Silver Bullet, uh, film when he was like 13. And his dad begins to work, you know, kind of as his manager, which is that's never good. You know, your dad is uh, latching on to your career when you're 12, 13 years old. You know, see Lindsay Lohan doesn't it's not good. Then when he's like 13, uh, films Lucas with 20 year old Charlie Sheen. Are you, what? 13 years old, and you've already, <laughs> you've already worked with uh, Charlie Sheen and Robert Downey Jr. You have seen some shit that uh, a young kid should probably never see. 
And uh, and then, you know, he and, and by this time, he's already getting like fan mail. He's already being recognized, uh, definitely in Canada, also in the States. He's a young heartthrob, which, again, I can't even imagine. Like, Kyler's turning 11. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine him, like, being, like, a heartthrob. Like, the dude is doing selfie poses when he gets a new outfit. Like, he's, again, the cock of the walk. But if we had, you know, girls sending letters to the house, oh, hello, monster. That would be tough to deal with. A little insecurity, a little struggle, I think, is good early in life. And so then it falls apart. Like, so, uh, uh, to film in The Lost Boys, dude starts getting 2,000 letters of fan mail a week. Has to hide from teenage girls that are now he's in LA, showing up to a daily in front of his house. And by the way, he's living in a house below his mom's. He's like 15, basically has total autonomy. He's going to some weird club they had in LA for like underage, you know, if you're not 21, you could hang out in this club where I'm sure, again, LA in the 80s, come on. You know, they're not checking your ID or not serving you alcohol, but you know they're doing blow in the bathroom. Like, you know it. If you don't, you do now. Um, he's one of the highest paid, you know, teen actors. Him and Corey, him and Corey Feldman were the highest paid teen actors, so he's making millions. That's just, wow, man. Power corrupts that whole quote about, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean, I'm a believer in too much too soon, not a good thing. And he, and he did later admit that he started drinking beer on the set of Lucas, started smoking weed by the time he was doing License to Drive, you know, right after The Lost Boys. And by the time he was doing uh, Dream a Little Dream, this dude's doing blow and then crack. Like, he was doing crack before he was 18 years old. Which, uh, you never hear a, a good story that starts that way. You never hear, like, uh, in somebody's bio, like, uh, like a Bill Gates, you know? It's, it's never <laughs> Crack is never part of the good narrative. It's, you know, no one's ever like, well, you know, things really started to, to kind of take off for me when I started smoking crack uh, between classes senior year of high school. And I really feel like that was the difference maker. That's what got me uh, into Harvard, uh, which is where I made some connections that, that, that got me uh, onto Wall Street and really uh, just, just up and up and up from there. Just, man, it all started with crack. Nope. Uh, it all starts going down with crack. It's pretty much... Uh, I think like a universal thing, you know, and, and no one ever casually smokes crack. I feel like you never hear about that. No one dabbles in crack. I don't even know. Does anyone even smoke crack anymore? I never even hear about crack anymore. When I was like, you know, early twenties, that was like the go-to drug joke was crackheads. People smoking crack. You don't, you don't hear about crack. Yeah, that's one of the big bummers of 2016. Not enough crack references. Uh, yeah. You know, ah, the good old days full of people doing crack. Um, so, so he, yeah, he's doing crack by the time he's 18, out of rehab already uh, by 19, and his career is essentially over. Like, like it just got going. He, ju- he, like, he blew up, you know, in his mid-teens, 14, 15, 16, he, he blew up, 17, he's still, you know, right up. And then by, like, 19, he doesn't know it yet, but it's fucking over. Because now he's, you know, like, doing drugs on set. He, he's, he, there's, he's getting a reputation around town. To the point that he even tried, I think he was on some Arsenio Hall show, excuse me, back then, uh, and he did some, like, after it became known. He's tabloid fodder, by the way. He's no, no longer Tiger Beat. Now he's tabloid junkie guy. Kind of like, you know, uh, comparable to, like, a Lindsay Lohan uh, a couple years ago, how bad that was for her. It was like that for him, trying to repair his image already. Again, not even 20 years old. And he's, like, he did some, like, call-in 800 number for kids struggling with drug addiction and then revealed later that he was high when he recorded that even. You know, he's not getting much work, uh, but he still has Hollywood money. You know, in 1992, 
Um, he has a 7,000 foot, you know, Hancock Park mansion. So, you know, he, he's, he's still doing all right. He's still doing all right. And that's, you know, that's 92. So he's only like 21. So he's, he's still doing good. But then uh, by 1997, he files for bankruptcy. And in 1997, you know, he would have been, uh, he was born in 71, so he's, he's 26 years old. 26 years old, and he files bankruptcy. The IRS claims he has 100 grand. According to filings, assets of $100 in cash, uh, $30,000 in an actor's pension, uh, $750 in clothing, $7,500 in royalty rights. He has a 1987 Alfa Romeo Spider convertible. Which is, yeah, it's only worth about like now if you had it like 15,000 bucks. It's, it's not like a huge collector's car. Fuck, man. I mean, that's crazy. By 2001, 29 years old, not even 30, he's trying to sell one of his molars. One of his teeth had fallen out. He's trying to sell it on eBay. He's trying to sell clumps of his hair to pay for medical. And it's not like he's trying to sell them for like $50,000. I think he was asking for like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks is what I saw. For the molar. Um, God dang, man. And then living in a small apartment with his mom above a garage in Santa Monica. Five five years earlier, this dude is sleeping. He's in a two-year relationship with, like, Baywatch beauty Nicole Eggert. In her prime. I, I mean, just Google her. Like, fuck. The, 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 the mind fuck that would happen. I can't even imagine if, like, you're living in a mansion in a trendy neighborhood in L.A. And you're a household name. Yeah, you're going through some struggles and stuff, but you're partying it up, you know, living like there's no tomorrow. You're, you're sleeping with uh, Nicole Eggert or, or, or equivalent Hollywood starlets. And then five years later, five years later, when in your mind you're supposed to, uh, you would imagine yourself to progress even farther from that, like, like as people do. You never think like, well, I've peaked. It's downhill now, especially not at 20, 21 years old. And instead, you're living in a small, shitty Santa Monica. People, sometimes people think of Santa Monica like it's all nice. No, I live in Santa Monica. It is not. There are some buildings and little spots in Santa Monica that are just like, ugh, gross. I would never want to live there. It's not nice. Um, he's, he's living in one of those uh, in a little apartment over a garage. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that probably doesn't have, like, AC. Not, not central. You're not getting that above the garage. You might have a little window model blowing in some cool breeze. And you're with your fucking mom. How much does that suck? When you're, this is a, for somebody who, when they were 16, had their own place next to mom's. You know, whatever, but their own place with girls coming, pounding at the door all the time. Now you're, you're not getting, you know, the mailman is your only visitor. And then just kind of disappears from like 1997 to 2007. He just like was gone. From the business. Uh, later in a Larry King interview, he said, For eight and a half years, I was just watching movies, staying in bed, eating food, and just, you know, being miserable. That's a quote. He also said during three and a half years of that time, he didn't leave his apartment once. Like, there was a three and a half year stretch of this dude in his, you know, late 20s, early 30s, right around that period where he just, and he bloomed to like 300 pounds, just stayed just stayed in a little tiny apartment. Oh, my God. So then in 2007, A&E begins. Uh, he's trying to make a comeback. The two Corys, him and Corey Feldman, it's like a reality show, runs two seasons. He's trying to make a comeback. He's getting excited, takes out a full-page ad in Variety magazine, letting the industry know he is back, he is ready to work. 
right after that, uh, I guess on camera on this reality show, it is revealed to him that in the sequel for The Lost Boys, a straight-to-DVD movie, the producers have informed him there is no role for him in this movie. What a slap in the fucking face. The movie that made you a star, less than 10 years later, the shitty straight-to-DVD sequel that no one ever no one ever talks about Lost Boys 2. People love Lost Boys. I've never watched or had any interest in checking out Lost Boys 2. It looks like shit. But even in that movie, it's like he doesn't even get offered a part. That's like, oh, my God. That's like, uh, you know, you're being the, you're the quarterback of, of the New England Patriots. That'd be, that'd be like if Tom Brady, you know, let's say Tom Brady of like 10 years ago, for some reason he gets into drugs, he falls apart, and then today, well, it's like Ryan Leaf or like Johnny Manziel, you know, it's like, but it's like, you know, if Tom Brady all of a sudden couldn't get, uh, couldn't get the people to let him play quarterback at like a YMCA, you know, just rec, rec league or something, or like if he showed up at the park and, you know, yeah, it'd be like, let's say if it was like Michael Jordan. Well, I mean, that's going a little far. Let's, let's backtrack it. Let's say it was like Charles Barkley in his prime. And then 10 years later, instead of being a TNT a- analysis, uh, he's like showing up at a park in Birmingham and he doesn't get picked for like the half court scrimmage. That would be just devastating. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, he tried to make a small comeback in you know, 2009, early 2010, supposedly he was getting some attached to some projects, uh, as a, as an actor, you know, he did do some that some never released attached as a director, to some upcoming ones, and then he, and then he dies. Uh, I think he's still living with his mom, Burbank. And, and even on the comeback thing, it's like, I know people who are attached to stuff where it's like, people think like, oh man, you're like, like I did some little movie that did festivals like five years ago that's on Amazon now. Please don't watch it. Uh, for real. Um, uh, but it like, you know, did some little festival stuff. I actually got some kind of nonsense, uh, award show nominations it's random like festivals no one's ever heard of and i made like next to nothing for that you know so it's like you know on, on one hand it's like oh he's starting to make a comeback but well nah he he he, he might have been making like a couple thousand bucks on those movies and this is a guy without a day job and wow and just again again just uh i hope this was entertaining i know it wasn't necessarily as uh as funny as hopefully the last two episodes were and the next one, yeah, I'll be sure to pick a little more positive topic. But I want Times Like to be just about interesting stuff. Stuff that, you know, like you can, you can talk about, little tidbits you can take away. And, uh, and I try and keep it as factual as possible. You know, I know that sometimes random web articles, it's hard to tell exactly who's telling the truth. But I try and stay away from the ones that have lots of clickbait. That just, you know, I try not to take my information from an article that on the bottom has like, you know, some nonsense. Kathy Ireland, look at her now. And it's, you know, clearly not even a picture of Kathy Ireland or, or whatever. You know, the, the, the original cast of Baywatch. It's scary to see what they've become. And it's, you know, it's, again, it's no one from the show. It's fucking nonsense. Try to stay away from that. But uh, if you ever wondered, man, what happened to Corey Haim? Well, you, now you know. The dude blew up in his teens and then his life imploded for his 20s and 30s. And uh, that poor, poor bastard, man. I would not wish that on anyone. And I, I guess I'm fascinated too because, you know, it's like uh, I've experienced a small, small, small dose of that where it's like, you know, the whole, the whole time I've been doing stand-up, I've had the same exact approach. I write what I think is funny. I edit it, perform it as best I can, get it to a place where I think it's as good as I can get it, and then I try to record it. 
And then, you know, it shows up uh, sometimes for a while there. It showed up on Comedy Central, like a half hour and then an hour. And then all of a sudden, just like a random new exec comes along, wasn't into me like the previous exec was. And then my next album doesn't go on there, but turns out to be to be better, better liked on Pandora, where you can make a channel, by the way, Dan Cummins, Pandora Station. And it's it just like a, a lesson to me of like, man, you know, you can you just do what you do. Like in this case, Corey Hims, you know, he just you act well. And then you got to start doing a lot of drugs. But sometimes just it just goes away. And, it, and it's really mentally hard. And I can say that from personal experience. You have that adjustment period of like, shit, man, am, am I just done? You know, I'll, I'll admit, like after my hour special, I definitely thought about quitting. You know, because at that point I was just invested in ego stuff. It's like I just thought I was on this path of, well, if I got this only, you know, eight years in, oh, my gosh, by 15 years in, I'll have three HBO specials. You just project that way. But it's not all up to you. And, you know, with me, I realized it's like, you know, what, what I care about is what I can control, my show. And I still like putting on a show. And as long as I like that and can make money doing that, I'll do that. But Corey, hey, man, ooh, ooh, just to, just to go from such heights to such a low for such a long time. Whew. So let's get out of here. Let's get out of here with uh, some, some top five takeaways. Don't let your kid go into acting until they're an adult. Not ever. Don't let your kid hang out with Corey Feldman. Bad track record. Don't let your kid live with young Robert Darney Jr. for a few months or any time at all. If you get a time machine, that should be the last on your list. Don't ever smoke crack. Ever. Ever. And number five... The Lost Boys will forever fucking rule. Miss you, Sam. R.I.P. Corey Haim. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.